0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Now a show that's going to give you the truth about the biggest epidemic of our times. We're all a little crazy. Welcome back to another episode of We're All a Little Crazy. I'm a host, Eric Hewson, along with Darren Revell, uh, Theo Fleury. Uh, Special guest today, but, you know, in the context of talking about mental health and current events, there's been two things, one a little bit, you know, a couple weeks ago, whereas one a little bit more recent, obviously, we we heard of the Sha'Carri Richardson story, a big piece of that story being the loss of her biological mother a week before she was participating in the 100-meter in the Olympic trials, and the impact that had on her, how she found out about the loss from a reporter and yes, we did a show on what she turned to. We're not going to get into that topic. We we do want to talk in this episode on the loss of a parent to a public figure who is expected to, quote, perform on a high level and what that does and how similar that experience of loss can be towards people. The other current event topic that we thought was so important to touch on because it happened yesterday, um, and Darren shot me a text on it in a article from the Wall Street Journal. So if you look back to April of 2021, um our government sources revealed uh, and I'm I'm being broad with that purposely that uh suicides had gone down. Uh the number was from just over 47,000 in uh 2019 to 44,000, just over 44,000 in 2020. And the thread there was Well, look, the pandemic didn't impact our mental health that greatly. Um, Suicides for the first time in a while are either flat or even slightly down. Well, with Darren's text that he sent me with the same government sources sharing those numbers, you look at the overdose numbers and you see a very different story. You see that they went from 72,000, just over 72,000 in 2019 to 93,000 in 2020 okay it's over a 20,000 jump so you and think Eric, of now-
0: Eric this is against the background of a general crisis of information in our world we are being attacked by the wrong information the sl- as a journalist the slanting of information and it being used and you know clearly this is part of and i'm not trying to get into politics here trump mm-hmm. america um, you know that is a crisis in itself so, so, and, and so. I
1: agree with you. I agree with you on slanting and politics. I'll, and I'm not, this is not to take sides there. And when you call Trump America, there are many people on the other side, cause I want to give both sides of the equation who are going to say, uh, a Trump America wouldn't want the early numbers to say that lockdowns during a pandemic, when that information comes out, Uh, Show that there's no impact on mental health. So
0: that's correct. But it's also not a zero sum game where 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 it's 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 not like, okay, uh, just because there's a greater impact on mental health. And I have a friend who's a who's a Trumper who says more people will die from mental health issues than this. I don't. I don't necessarily think that's the case because the word dying is absolute and we probably don't encourage that on our show. It's not dying or nothing. It's that we're in a worse state. Um, And I always agree, but it's not one or the other. It's not one or the other.
1: And in fairness, look, you know comparing the numbers of deaths that happen from coronavirus, not that we should go down this path too much for this show with the great guests that we have, but the the, the numbers of deaths coming from coronavirus will significantly outpace the deaths from mental health in the immediate, right? We don't know what the long-term effect is yet, but what we do know is in the slanting of the way the numbers are being put out, the numbers for overdose deaths being 20,000 higher when combined with suicide deaths, show a significant increase, and that's in the short term. There's gonna be even a more increase because of what we know about trauma and stress and how it accumulates in our nervous system over time. And so I, th- I think the the one thing we can all say, regardless of what side of the political spectrum people are on, is the information needs to be shared. It needs to be shared openly, transparently. In a space, you talk about slanting, where there's, you know, uh, 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 some kind of let's call it a uh, decision to to keep information out of our hands um so that certain outcomes take place to not have both those numbers together is pretty egregious and to release them 3 months apart and so for this show you know someone who I was introduced to through a gentleman named Tamir Goodman who is known as the Jewish Jordan back in the day um they met together friends through Israel basketball um, but it, uh, you know, Darren and I were joking before the show that the first room that he and I were probably ever in together, not knowing it was the 2003 NBA draft when I was working for the NBA league office. And he was a young reporter at the time, both some of our earliest jobs. And, um, in that draft, that was the LeBron draft, the, the Dwayne Wade draft, um, the Chris boss draft, it, 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 uh, Darren reminds me it was the Darko draft. Um, but Um, there was a gentleman that we were all excited about that was getting drafted, um, because we were Knicks fans. Who the, actually,
0: who actually did not get booed when he was the first round pick. Yeah, right. How
1: often is that they, that uh, that the yeah. fans are really into it? And the reason he didn't get booed, I think, is he had an incredible college career at Georgetown. Um, is, is in the top what five to six in points and rebounds if you look at his statistics. Um, but he becomes a ninth overall pick. And I, you know, what I was describing was it was kind of this mix between the fans had this love affair with Ewing, who is from Georgetown. They loved the blue collar type of play of an Oakley and a Mason. He had that body build of an Oakley Mason type of uh, a forward type of player, power forward type of player. And so excited to welcome with us here is is Mike, Mike Sweetney. So what's up, Mike? <laughs>
2: Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me, man. I'm very excited to you know be here with you guys and um have some great conversations today.
1: Awesome, brother. So take us, you know. We we, we started with the Shakari Richardson um story and the loss of her mother, and I don't think people have a full understanding, Mike. You've shared your story in New York papers and it, it's become national. It's been a couple years since you know, you're drafted in this draft where where it is LeBron, it is Wade, it is Carmelo. It's a Ballyhoo draft. You're drafted to a team that is high-profile team. There's high expectations. And before camp ever begins, you go to what's called Rookie Transition Program, right? So I worked Rookie Transition Program. I'll give a little bit of my angle on it. But from a player's perspective, what are they teaching you at Rookie Transition Program, number one? And number two, how do you feel as an athlete being in a room with the the, the top players in the world who've just been drafted?
2: Um, so, so the first thing, what they do is, um, in rookie transition program, they teach you about, you know, finances, handling your money, um, dealing with travel, uh, dealing with just, you know, the NBA lifestyle, women, you know, (laughs) all types of things, things you wouldn't even think of. They bring in ex-players that had struggled through things and had to overcome things. They bring in players that were successful. So they kind of show you both sides and just try to, you know, prepare you for what's about to come. Cause like you get drafted and you got like this. But one month span before you just get thrown into everything, so you try to you know prepare you as much as possible to get prepared for it, and uh, so it's 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 very intense. Um, one week, um, no phones. You're just in these you know seminars all day and
0: listening to people speak. So it's 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 a lot. Um, it's a lot. And don't, don't don't get me into the PA and any PA, and if 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 what they actually teach you is good or whether they're just doing it because they feel like it's their responsibility. Oh, you don't get me started
2: so you don't want to get me started on that one because trust me on a person that's on the outside now that's had to go through things and try to rely on them and knowing that they really just don't it just sounds good to them to say oh we did this but i really don't care about you (laughs) So trust me i've I've had to live it so
1: well and and so i'm in the i'm in the room there right and and i'm 20 I'm, i'm not that much older than you at the time mike i'm 24 years old you're you know 22 years old when you're in there and i'm looking around the room and it is lebron it is wade it is carmelo it is all these people i forget exactly you know who, who was able to come who wasn't able to come but as a player right who's getting drafted do you you know cuz i want i want to take people through the arc of what that week was like for you because you had to be at least sitting in that room being like this is the first example that i've arrived that i'm i'm one of the top players in the world and i'm surrounded by these other top players in the world is that a fair
2: oh, no. assessment because like, I'm going to be honest with you, like, draft night, the first, like, two days, it was a blur to me. Like, yep. as soon as you get your name, called, it, take you, whisk you off behind back,
0: you're taking pictures.
2: <laughs> and, like, next thing you know, it's, like, 1 a.m. I'm like, where did my night go? And I'm
0: you, in- I and mean, wait, hold on. You were in New York. You weren't the- like the part. others who were whisked away to <laughs> <in> Phoenix. <laughs> And yes, L.A. So- on private planes. I mean, you, you had a short night, dude.
2: Yeah, I had to jump, like, right into everything. So it was, like, crazy. So I was just, like, interviews and this, that, and other. So By the time I got back at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning, it was just, like, me and my parents. And we were just, like, like, wow, this really just happened. And I was so tired. Like, some of my friends, like, let's go hang out. Let's go do this. I'm like, dude, like, I don't want to party. I, I, mean, I get it. Everybody's excited. But I'm exhausted because, like, like you said, the week building up to it you're still doing interviews and, you know, you're doing promo shoots and certain teams want to meet with you to interview you, work out with you, question you, all types of things. So it's like, it's nonstop up until, you know, before you get called, <laughs> you know, you get an Angus call. So like, you know, it's so much pictures and, and it's, it's nonstop. So it's a blur. But just being able to be in that situation. And for me, I tell people the story, like seeing LeBron, I didn't even have to even see, I obviously seen his highlights, but just seeing him, it was something different about him that you just kind of knew, like he had this aura around like this aura. Yeah. You knew it, you know, and nobody, I mean, I didn't see this coming, (laughs) Yeah, but you like, he was going to be an all time great. So being in the conversations being arguably the greatest or one of the greatest of all time, that's, you know, that's everybody's opinion, but like for him to be at this point, it's, it's amazing, but you kind of, you saw it. He was like for him to be 18 to have like, Hey, the diet thing down to down pack the, you know, being able to put that much money into his body. Like most guys will learn to like halfway through their career. like he had a, a system and a support system going into the NBA, which is very rare. So you kind of saw it coming like, okay, he's about his business. So Let, like,
0: let, me, let me get, I want to get into that because we talk yeah. a lot about background and how uh, things uh, that happen in your life and how your life is shaped then shapes future things, but you don't realize it. LeBron is the most confusing guy to me for this reason he's hopping around from house to house with no father figure. And he shows up at 18. And my first interaction with him one-on-one is at a Knicks game, 2003 or four, whatever it was in the rookie season. And he's got an endorsement deal that they haven't announced. And I'm trying to trick him into confirming the endorsement deal for me. And he's having none of it. And and the fact that he he is all, like, the fact that he was so put together, he was the, given, and it wasn't social media yet, but given the way media moved, it is clearly, he 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 is arguably the most hyped guy of all time in sports and lived up to it. His maturity and how he, I don't know, because he still hasn't openly talked about it. I'm not sure how LeBron was the way he was at 18, given his background, and maybe life's challenges made him that way. We always talk about it in a negative way, but maybe his life was in such chaos that that he had developed systems to make him more mature than he, maybe because he didn't have a father figure, maybe he started thinking about being a, a father figure to himself when he was 10. I don't know. But it was the most impressive thing I've ever seen. I, I
2: agree with you 1,000% on that because pretty much most people his situation, they use it as an excuse to be like, hey, I'm not going to be in my kid's life. I'm going to be a horrible husband. I'm just going to be a horrible person because I'm angry I didn't have a father. And for him, he did the opposite. He went around and obviously, I mean, I don't know his situation. You can just tell from the outside looking in, amazing father, amazing husband, family yep. person, you know, think about it. You know, let's be honest. You know, a lot of NBA players have, you know, cheating scandals or there's always something. You, out of all these years, you never heard one peep from LeBron. So I mean, for me, that's amazing. That just goes to show the type of person he is. That like he won't humiliate his family or his career or everything that's going on. So, like you said, I do not know how he did that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he did have a secret person in his life growing up that was you know that person to him. He just don't talk about it. But for him to have that, like you said, 18 years old to be that mature is is, is it's.
1: Yeah. and 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 but you're in the room, Mike, with you know, Carmelo had only played a year at Syracuse, right? So still pretty young, um, obviously goes to a national championship, and then a, an array of other players there. But I think you know what what is so valuable about having these conversations is people think Mike Sweetney, ninth overall pick in the room with all these other players, top of the world, like what could be bad? Like there's nothing wrong in that guy's life, right? And then the story arc changes a little bit, right? So can you take us through, and, and I, I I so appreciate how vulnerable you've been with me personally, how you've been with others when you share the story, but people need to know that you're human beings and what happens to human beings. So height, height of your career at this point, sitting in a room with these top players in the world, now what happens?
2: Yeah, so I'm sitting in a room and, um, you know, you're not supposed to have your phone, but I had it in my pocket. So my phone was like buzzing like 10 minutes straight. I'm like, what's well, my phone going on? Like,
1: how many days do you remember how many days into RTP this happened? Day. It was the second, second day. Second day. Okay. So
2: um, you know, my phone was like going crazy. I'm like looking, I see my brother call like maybe 30 times. I'm like, what is going on? So I was like, so I said something, I think it was Chris and Chin. I was like, look, I'm I i do not know what's going on. I know I can't fonce My brother's called me 30 times. I was like, he knows where I'm at, he knows the situation. So she, I was like, something must be wrong. She was like, you got one minute. And they gave me like a minute or two to figure it out. So I called him and he was just like hysterically crying that my father had just passed away with a heart attack. I'm like, wow. So I just talked to him earlier that morning, you know, before everything started. And, uh, you know, it was like, wow. You know, follows the person, introduced to the game. And seriously to this day, my father never missed a practice or a game growing up. Don't know how he did it. And it worked, you know, he was the manager of a job. So, you know, he was like my support system. So that was just literally just being just taken away from me and blurred, like I had to react to it.
1: Didn't know how to. So went home and... You know, pretty much so you ready. don't you don't uh, so so you get the call. It's your second day of RTP. You just gave us the background that your dad's been your biggest support in the basketball world. He's been in every practice, every game. Love supporting you at Georgetown, right? So for everyone out there listening, like you play youth basketball, you play AAU basketball. You're, you're you yourself are a parent. And you watch your child play. Mike's no different at this point. Even though Mike's drafted into the NBA, and even though he's sitting around all these star players. It's his relationship with his father who's been around him in his life for playing sports. Brother calls, brother's hysterically crying, picks up the phone because he's only allowed a minute to get on the phone because you don't expect these tragedies, right? Chris Achin, who he's referring to as a yeah. friend as well, worked at the NBA and now is at the PA, uh, lets him take the call. And so, so, Mike, when you get that call, I'm assuming what you're saying is they let you leave. That sounds like a weird thing saying let you leave, okay, I- but...
2: Right away, I mean, I'm not, she, you know, she was like one of the main supporters. Yep. She was like, well, we, what can we do to, you know, help you? Because, like, I'm, like, in disbelief at the moment. I wasn't crying. I wasn't hysterical. I was just like, okay, what is going on? Like, you shock. know, this, you're in shock. I'm in shock. So, uh, I, you know, they, they helped me get. So, literally, I, and luckily for me, I played for the Knicks. I think we were in Westchester County. Yep. So, my, my wife, Val, my girlfriend at the time, she came and picked me up. And then uh, we just went. Uh, so, we went back to my apartment to pack a few things and. And I just like, I think it kind of hit me there because, like, so a year before that, her father passed away. Ooh. So she kind of understood what I was going through. And that's kind of why we we're so close and connected because I was there for her when her father passed. Like, Lily, our fathers are a year apart in days, like, almost. Wow. Like, like man. So, um, yeah. So, you know, we I just sat in it, hit me, and I just broke down and cried. And I went home. Uh went home, and um. was where
1: to exactly? To home to
2: Maryland, went back, went back home to Maryland. Okay. Uh, drove for a while and uh, got, got actually went straight to the hospital actually. And uh, because they saved you know, they didn't take him away so I could see him, right? And I couldn't do it, I was like, no, nah, I can't do it. And um, you know, went there, had the funeral, then literally after the funeral, I had, I had like a day and a half to go to training camp. Oh my god, so, um, so the team was like, hey, look, take as much time as you need it. This and nah. I was like, you know what basketball is my outlet i don't want to just sit home though so i said all right cool So it was like you know you sure i was like no trust me i'm good and at the time i was like basketball really was my outlet. So i went to training camp and i was you know so rewind real quick before in the transition program we have summer league nba summer league, NBA summer league i played very very well like average like 18 15 whatever somewhere in that range played well average a double double Training camp went in there. Everybody.
1: So, else- so, so Mike, so stop there for a second. So, so, so because the fan perspective and Darren will remember this is the Oakley Mason replacement guy from Georgetown. He's killing it in summer league. We, as fans, you know, Grant that I was working in, but we don't think about rookie transition program. We don't think we think guys dominating in summer league can't wait for this guy to be on our team. And we had the 94 run. Now we're going to have the 2,000 plus run because a guy like Sweetney, high draft pick, is on our team. To Darren's point, gets cheered, you know, during thing. Okay, keep going. I, I like giving the historical perspective because fans are watching this from a different angle than you're living in it at the time.
2: So, uh, when, you know, so you know, did well in summer league and then went to the training camp. I say I'm going to use basketball outlet. So in training camp, all these guys that are before me, you know, making more money than me, you know, some all-star appearances so i'm in a training camp dominating these guys and um so i'm like okay cool you know basketball i'm having a good time in training camp so that's when and so this is what happened when life changed me mentally so i was i was still obviously grieving my father a little bit but i mean not a little bit i was a (laughs) lot so i'm not gonna sugarcoat it i was grieving my father but that basketball part gave me an outlet so when, when um you know right before the season started uh, coach pulls me into the office, so I'm thinking he's going to – in my mind, I'm like, okay, he's going to tell me I'm starting or I'm in a rotation because, like, there's no way. I like, guess no way. Like, could nobody guard me? And at that time, I felt like I was unguardable. <laughs> and what happened was he pulled me to the office. He was like, hey, I um, just want to let you know, season starts tomorrow. You're not going to play. So I'm like, I'm not going to play. So I'm like, wow, okay. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'm not going to get the minute team. I, I, but maybe he was using words. He's like, yeah, you're going to dress in a suit you know, we, we believe that rookie got to pay their dues. So I'm like, all right, I'm like, pay my, pay my dues. Other ways like carrying luggage or whatever. But like, <laughs> on the back of course, you guys know what it is right now. Don't tell me I'm not good. At, he said, pay
0: your dues. Like that makes no sense. Like these other guys are getting chances probably. So, it, it's like it's like the college, the old college. Uh, you know, freshmen have to sit thing. It's like what you know, the old in 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 football, the the freshmen are sitting until what was that? Until I think nineteen seventy five. You know, it's like what. That's not how life works. So but now,
2: now that I, as I got older, I realized what that really meant, and I was in a second. So uh, actually, I will tell you now. So what happens? So what that really meant was you're a rookie coming in. You're making one point five whatever a year you know, we had the highest payroll in the league. So you got guys making seven, eight, 10, like Dice making like
1: 15, 18. Give million. some, give some names of guys who are on the team. Uh,
2: Tony O McDice. Um, yep. he $15 million a year. Clarence Weatherspoon was getting like seven, $8 million a year. Yep. So like so. trying to think who else we had a couple other guys.
1: Well, those were the guys in your position, right? Yeah. Like, and, and, and Tony McDice was, there were some questions about his knee, yeah. um, but he, but he signed a huge contract and, so, and-
2: and, and ownership, you know, management felt like, don't really care about talent. If I'm paying somebody $15 million a year, I want $15 million on the floor, not no $1.5. Yep. No matter yep. what this $1.5 does. So, yep. even though that's not a winning recipe, but it is what it is. So, I was like, now I'm older, I understand that. Not understand, but I see why they said they said it. So, yep. kind of yep. is what it is. And um, so, you know, by me just sitting on the bench in the suit behind the game and you know, it, it just started. That's when my life started to change mentally. It started taking a toll. Because, like, basketball became not fun. I hated it. Hated going to practice. Hated going to games. I'm like, I did everything I was supposed to do. Now I'm not on the floor. I'm watching LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Chris Kane, TJ Ford. All those guys that was top ten picks getting chances. And I'm just sitting there like, without, like, like why are you not playing? Because guys saw what I did in summer league. Why are you not playing? I don't know. <laughs> right. So, you know and it, it, it that's when the depression really started to kick in cuz i didn't hate it going to practice hate you know at home still grieving when up.
1: you when you say depression mike because I, this this is such an important thing for people to understand because we're talking about this in the context of the Shakari Richardson story then we're going to talk about it in the context of overdose and and drugs and sometimes what we turn to when we're in emotional pain you it's just interesting the way i i hear you know i'm i'm no psychiatrist or psychologist i'm no therapist but But I I speak to people enough when I hear their stories, right? And you're revealing to us that basketball was your outlet, right? But you also kind of in a cutesy type of way, in in a very innocent way, we're like, you know, I'm grieving my father. Well, I'm grieving my father a lot, right? Like there's an enormity to the loss of a parent going into this that people, whether your job is an accountant and getting yourself involved in in the numbers and allowing that to be your escape because you're a numbers person, you love it, or you're a basketball player and you love basketball that we sometimes use that thing that we love to escape while what we have just dealt with in a very acute situation, the loss of someone like the loss of your father, like Sha'Carri's loss of her mother that weighs really heavily, right? So I wanted I wanted to give that context to everyone because I think as you're saying that the basketball was taken away from you, there's still this underlying piece of Mike Sweetney, which is that loss of my father happened really quickly at a time when my life was about to take off with money, with fame, with playing at the, the world's most famous arena. And now it's this intersection of both these things being taken away from me. No,
2: for sure. I, I agree. like a lot of people don't understand the human aspect of it. Uh whether you're an athlete making hundreds of million dollars or you're just, you know, a normal person working a regular nine to five job, no matter what it is, you're still human. And people forget that they think that, oh, you're an athlete, you make all this money. I think Charles Barkley said it one time, like, I think it was like Kyrie Irving or the Kevin Durant. He's like, how can that guy be depressed? He got two hundred million dollars in the bank. I'm like, two hundred million dollars doesn't, doesn't you know, money does not make you happy. I mean, you look at Hollywood right now, you look at it,
0: it's a lot <laughs> of both issues money both. arguably makes you more unhappy. Oh, yeah. I mean, be, because you focus, because you're not focusing on life, you're focusing on money, or or at least someone in your relationship is focusing on money. It was nothing like for me, nonstop. You know, it was like people always asking for money. Can I? Oh, I got this investment. It
2: was like there was never a
0: time someone talk know. is someone being nice to Mike because of money. How come you didn't talk to me the past four years? That's a, the draft day thing to me is just wild. Just to see like. Like I always think in my head, like how much a part of not the word posse is a negative term, I think now. But like how many people in this are these people following them around are people who haven't really been there? It's crazy. Some some athletes are fine with it or some athletes are not. Most are not fine, even if they show it overtly outside. So I'll never forget Shaq. Shaq for three or four years had people. Following him around, and he was okay with his boys having uh, jerseys that he would sign as he's walking around, like following around. And that was the way he was paying him back. But he felt the need to pay him back. And that's also a stress.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like, it's one of those, it's it's a tough situation because, like, some people that are there for you, some people that are not there for you growing up, then it's like you feel like you feel that pressure, like, okay, if I'm not, if I don't help them out, then it's like, oh, I'm considered a sellout. Cause that's what people say oh you're a sellout you don't take care of your own or you're this and the other so it's 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 a tough situation to be in and it's like every especially like high profile guys like people are pulling at you left and right and it's just like what about you don't really get no time just for somebody to say hey, you know what man how are you doing today how was your day like yeah. <laughs> i can't even think that how many times in my life when i was playing in the nba somebody said hey you know what how's your day going today you doing good you know i know you lost your father you okay?
1: And, I got expected, that- and that's the thing you're expected, Mike, because of you know what Darren was saying with the, with with the the group that's following you. Like, I'm 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 thinking about your picture on uh, on on draft day. Were you wearing a white suit? I'm trying to remember. what, Do you remember what you were wearing? It, it was it was a nice suit. I remember it. And I'm thinking to myself, like as you're describing this, people are like, "Guys, on top of the world. He's about to make that rookie contract at 1.5. He's about to play at MSG." Like they don't see you as a human being. They see you as this person that everything is set and perfect and fine and great. And there's nothing that could be a challenge at this point.
2: Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it's like, it's, it's unbelievable, man. <laughs> a lot of with this thing that life is perfect. Like I, I look at, I, see, but like, I look at somebody like LeBron, I always use him for example. Like, I don't know how he does it. Like, you know, he always has to put on that, everything is perfect thing everything is going great in life this that, and the other and i'm sure he's human i'm sure he got just some small ass his wife might have made him mad morning, and right. he had to go and you know let's be, honest, let's be honest i'm sure being married all these years i'm sure they didn't have a back and forth or something that might have rubbed him the wrong way or you know family member might have called him and family might be sick whatever it may be like but he has to go on and be lebron james this guy that's perfect has a so-called perfect life and be smiling in front of cameras and you know this and so it's a hard thing to do because like you always you always got to be on and,
1: and you said, have no that. one I mean I know that the NBA has graduated into the last two years of requiring mental health professionals to work at the teams with the loss of your father in that early phase where the team separate from your father is deciding not to play you because you're not getting paid as much as the McDyces and the Clarence Weatherspoons. Did they did they go out of their way to try and find you help from a mental health perspective because of the loss of your dad or is that kind of on your own?
2: Say that no, I wouldn't say no. I think when I was with the Knicks for the first few years, because it wasn't really talked about like that, right? So nobody, uh, they kind of asked, well, are you okay? And this and the other," and I was like, "Oh yeah."
1: And they took so coming the from, from it. like an assistant coach, right? It wasn't like
2: yeah, coach action. Are you okay? And this, that, and the other, but. I think the one of the weirdest things that happened was when I got traded to Chicago, and I was you know going through my depression during that time, and I kind of like you know I put put on weight because I wasn't playing. I started didn't care about. I started taking care of myself. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. So instead of them saying, "Hey, what's going on?", they gotta they hired some type of doctor to try to trick my brain to lose weight instead of finding out what the oh real God. problem was. I found that uh-huh. it, it was <laughs> especially now being in the mental health world and like understanding. I'm like, that's so crazy. You really try At the time I was like, wow, is so weird. Like, why not to figure out what's the root of my problem and find out what's going on. It's like, Oh, what can we do to get you to lose weight? If we say we have this incentive for you or that incentive, like some doctor might like, give me these weird things to try to lose weight. And I'm like, it reminds right. me of
1: you being, it reminds me of you being like a racehorse. And they have to find the right drug to like shoot up, you know, the the ankle that's hurting. Doesn't matter like what is actually going on in your body, if we could get that race, that horse to perform at that race, we're good,
0: right? Even though humans have a much more complex system than horses. But I also think that's part that's part of sports too. I mean, the whole idea of like, let's just fix them like animals, clearly clearly exists you know where it's just like let's just get that guy out let's just give him tour a doll or whatever let's not let's just keep putting the band-aid and the band-aid and the band-aid and the band-aid clearly exists and yeah. and 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 Mike, so so you're yeah.
1: talking about what happened at the Knicks with just being asked, with the Bulls, with being you know, told basically how do we help you lose weight. But there was an incident with the Knicks that I want you to share because I think it plays into this whole conversation that we were having in the context of them releasing the overdose numbers recently. And it'll help paint for everyone how suicide, mental health, overdose, addiction all play into one another. Do you mind sharing that?
2: Sure. I think so. For me, um, when I was going through my depression, it was a dark place, and I was, I was, I was two people. I was a person outside. I was, I was what you call a professional master. When outside, life was amazing, life is great. I'm doing amazing, but behind closed doors, I'm a wreck. And I think trying to balance those two people, it kind of took its toll on me. So I just started getting tired. I mean, articles start being right about. Oh, he's a bust. This that. And it was so much. I'm like people don't really understand. Like I'm not even really given a chance. I'm getting thrown
1: this out. This is there. how long? How long into your rookie season with the Knicks about?
2: Like, probably like towards the end because
1: we were in okay. Cleveland,
2: and I will never forget the night. I was just tired of it. I'm like, like people don't understand. Like just sitting on the bench all game in the fourth quarter blowout. They say, oh, go get in the game. Like you've been sitting for I don't know an hour and a half. <laughs> You're in a cold arena. Like it's hard to get out yeah. there and just produce. And like the, these other guys all are in rhythm. So it's like. So people don't understand it's a tough situation to be in. Sometimes you can be okay, sometimes you're not. So just being thrown in those weird situations, like a minute, throw me in, in the and take me out, sit me for the rest, don't get back. So it's like nothing was consistent. So it was, it was like a hard thing. I lost confidence. And I just, you know, and he's like, oh, r- articles being written Oh, He's a bust. He's not panning out. Get rid of him. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. This treats you like crap. You know, and I get it Media these stories. And um, so it just started being told. And then I, and I got, got tired. I took a bottle of pills and took them I just wanted to end it all
1: but but let's go into the intricacy when you say taking a bottle of pills Mike um did you you had a prescription for something that you already had the bottle I I mean you
2: know I I didn't know what I was doing I just knew I wanted to end it all so I had like a bottle like Tylenol
1: Advil something like a pain okay so it wasn't prescription pills it wasn't prescription prescription. and and you know, you, you, so because suicide or, or overdose or whatever it is, is such a fascinating, unfortunately fascinating topic that we have to dive deep into. As I'm hearing it, playing the armchair, you know, therapist on this call, I'm hearing all the buildup of what happened from who had father- ideations
0: himself and understand it. Right. Right. I've had the
1: ideations because they came over and they took over my system. Right. For people who who haven't lived through those thoughts, Mike, and and hopefully I'm not putting words in your mouth. And by the way, as friends, I've never asked you this question. So for everyone listening, this is the first time you're hearing it. Um, it it's not as simple as, oh, things are being written badly about me. I, I'm I'm coming into games in a cold arena. So because things are hard i'm making this choice that i want to end it by taking these these pills that's not what happens what happens is if i'm understanding you correctly because this is what it felt like in my own head stuff has built over time it's built and it's built and it's built and eventually your brain starts to have irrational thoughts and those irrational thoughts are i'm better off not here than here and and it's like your brain is telling you that as opposed to it being this like okay, I'm Mike Sweetney, and I'm going to sit down with a list in my hotel room and here are the pros, here are the cons, right? I mean, it, it really feels like a forced takeover of your system. Is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah, no,
2: exactly. I mean, it's always kind of use like the snowball effect, you know, theory. Like, you know, if you don't get a hold of it in the beginning, then it's going to keep getting bigger and worse and yeah. worse and worse. And all that, I'm going to get through it myself and I'll be okay. Like, it's the macho thing, like, come to find out no matter how much you try. Like, if you don't really get some professional help or – speak to someone about it or try to do something about it it's you know that, and that's the point of, that came to me it wasn't just like oh life's not you know life was sucks right now i'm gonna take my life no like it was a buildup of what yep. eight months you know <laughs> of just yep. let down punches like it was like every day because like yep. being I'm waking up every day knowing like okay what's gonna come at me now
1: and <laughs> people know, so. and, and and the reason why that story is so important mike is because people don't talk about mental health they think that if they open up there's a weakness, right? I know that's cliche to say it, but they also think if I just bury what I'm feeling and move it to the back of my head, well, eventually I'm going to get the playing time in your case, or eventually I'm going to get the manager's job at the accounting office and it's going to go away. That's not what happens. And I think that's so the reason why having these conversations is so important is because here's Mike Sweetney on a big stage. He's got the future to look forward to. And and, and again, putting words in your mouth, but tell me if this is fair, The Mike Sweetney today, thinking about the Mike Sweetney that took that bottle of pills the night before, you wouldn't, you looking back at yourself, you're probably like, what was my mind thinking at that point? Like, life is a beautiful thing. Like, I love my wife. I love my kid. Like, I want to be here, right? But when you're in the throes of how your brain has started to decline because you haven't worked on talking about those things, that's where your brain can go to those places.
2: Yeah, that's, and I agree, because one thing I don't, it bothers me a lot when people say, you know, how can you be so selfish? How can this person be so selfish to do this? So I'm like, it's not, yes, they did it, but it's really not them. Like, it's yes. something happening to their brain that's triggering them to do that. It's like, it's Thank not you, man. So, so sometimes they can't control it. You know, I think yeah. if a person is, you know, a person who's in a normal state of their mind, they're not going to say, okay, I'm going to harm myself today. If something's going wrong. No, it's a buildup. And sometimes it gets to a point you cannot, you
1: really have no control. Thank you. Thank you. You so, needed to say that, man. That's. I think a you, lot of
2: times people say, oh, this person is soaked. How can you do that? Oh, this person has millions and billions of dollars. How can he be unhappy? How can he get to this point and do this to everybody or oh, his career? Like, you know, you see these, you know, actors at a certain point, you know, the career is going well. People think they're doing great, but, you know, things happen. So it's like, it's really not. Yeah, I know it sounds weird to say it like that.
1: It's not weird, it, it's Mike. Th- it's not weird, and it's and and Darren's heard me describe it, and I I sit on my soapbox when I go and I give presentations on suicide prevention because I I can't stand the campaigns of like we'd rather. You know, hear your story, then go to your funeral or think about who you're leaving behind because they're making it sound like you actively in this rational mind of of Mike Sweetney, of Eric Hewson, were making the decision that you not being here was more important than all these other people in your life or when you weigh these options out. That's not what happens. The stuff that builds up over time changes the thought process. And I'm not saying this is in every suicide, but in many of them, and you're confirming it right now in terms of giving us your story, here's an NBA friggin' player. The guy has a career in front of him. He's, he's playing for the top team in the league in terms of you know market value. And yet those thoughts come over his mind. That's what we're trying to show to everyone, that this can happen to anyone. And that's why this topic is so important to discuss. So I wish,
2: I wish my wife was near you this so I can, so she could say, because like a lot of people ask her, like, how did you, because she was the one that saw me every day like this. Nobody, even my mom didn't really know. Because when I would talk to my mom, I would hide it. And I'm around her, mm-hmm. I would hide it. She would think my life was okay, but my wife saw it. And people asked her, like, how did you do that? Why did you stay? And she was like, her one, her one quote that stuck with me, she was like, he was my best friend. I knew who he was before he started going through depression. So I knew that wasn't really him. So I didn't want to leave him in that position, I was gonna be there by my friend's side. And so like, when she says this, kind of goes back to what we are saying. Like, she saw like, I know this is not the real Michael. This is something that he's going through, but this is yep. not who it really is, so I gotta be there for him. So it's definitely one of those things, like you said, probably yeah, 1000% of the times, obviously that's not who that person really is. It's something that they just, they have a struggle with. And like, for me, I, I know a lot of times, I'm someone we'll talked about this too. A lot of times when people are going through this, some people are alcoholics. Some people are, you know, they start to get on pills and all types of drugs. So for me, I never did either one of those. And mine was food. I used to eat a lot for comfort. So I'm not comparing the two. I want to make it. Sure. No, 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 no. Dude, addiction
1: is addiction. Addiction is addiction.
2: I had a food addiction. So my food, I always tell people food was my drug. And, you know, which can give you all types of things. You can end up getting high blood pressure, diabetes, you know, cancer, whatever it may be things can affect you off that too so not like you know just drugs can hurt you like eating the wrong foods every day all day can really hurt you too so i had a food addiction at one point so that was like my comfort so and she saw that too she saw a person that would work out three times a day eat healthy you know still had a you know, strong physique but i know below my whatever i had a six pack people didn't you know so now you know I had you know until i got to that point I had the other six-pack. I had a keg. <laughs> so <laughs> wrong things. I wasn't working out. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to So that's when she knew something was wrong because she knew, like, in, in my mind, like, you, I think you say a little, you go, well, I've got to be a little crazy. I was a little crazy when it came to, like, working out. Like, I wouldn't hang out with my friends. I would work out three times a day, you know, eating no. healthy, doing the right thing. So she said, when I had that change, she knew something wasn't right.
1: They and want so to- so when you, you're you in Cleveland, you t- you've shared this point with me, but I want everyone to hear it. You take the pills, but you wake up the next day surprised that nothing happened, and you just go to practice the next day, right? So, and it's- you're just dragging ass in practice, right? Because you just took that pill, like, whose body can can operate on that, but you're the size that you are, which is probably what saves you. Yeah, so I kind of, kind of, like,
2: you know, because they knew somebody, something's going on you, I said, yeah, I think I got a little cold. I said, I was, like, I'm coming down with something, probably some my energy's low, but I was, like, so... I was like, wow, did I really do this? And I didn't even know who to tell. I couldn't even tell my wife, and the girl, because I'm like, at this point, mental health is definitely not talked about. And, you know, I look at Ron Artest, Chess, who was like an all star at the time, and I see how they treated him when he had his mental health. So I'm like, so I'm barely hanging on. I'm done in the league. If I say, yep. what's-. so I was like, I got to hold this in and thinking that hopefully I can figure it out. But I, obviously, I didn't, Nick King. Like you said, that snowball effect got worse and worse at that point. So just dragging the next day, realizing, like, wow, like, I can't say for how long, like months. Like, wow, did I really get to that point? But scared to say anything to anybody. And glad. And I'm glad now we're in a different place in our world where mental health is at least being talked about more and a lot more people are being open about it, what's going on. But at that time, it was definitely a dark time where that conversation, if I would have said that back then, yeah, I'd have been probably next day, they'd have found a way You'd be like, all right, he's done. Well,
1: look, we're we're friendly with Royce White. It happened to him, right? Yep. Um, and, and I would still even argue to today, it's okay to raise your hand and say, I have this thing called depression, I have this thing called anxiety, but it but but to say I lost my dad and that's really weighing on me, nah. That that's not necessarily acceptable, even still to today, because it's kind of like a oh, I'm trying to go for it. We who who we had on we had on a couple episodes, like they were talking about the, the difference of, you know, uh, competing for spots on the starting lineup. Oh, it was Riley Cote, right? It was like uh, from the NHL. It's like, well, that guy's, you know, injured. I'm going to step up and I'm going to take that advantage of that position. So you know, athletes aren't so open to talking about the stuff. They'll say the label right now because it's become a little bit more common, but the stuff is more difficult to talk about. And when you don't talk about the stuff, that's when it cumulatively builds the way that it, it did with you at that place where you got to that point. Did you, after having that experience, Mike, did did you ever, did your brain ever get back to that place ever again where it, it dipped so low that you were getting those error messages again? Um, you know, looking at bottles or looking at, okay, you're shaking your head, yeah.
2: Yeah, multiple times. I'll be, I'm not going to sit here in shoot code again. No,
1: no, please, please tell us about it, yeah.
2: Multiple times, like where, you know, yeah, I would get there and like, wow, I even got to a point where after my four years was over, um, you know, my four year NBA career was over. Um, I think bloody like, bloody that, that following Thanksgiving, I remember packing up my car on Thanksgiving Day and I just packed up my car. My wife was like, where are you going? I was like, just tell my tell the family, you know, it was all my family's coming to the house for Thanksgiving. Day. I was like, just tell them that I'm going. I got a job overseas playing basketball. She's like, well, where are you going? I said, honestly, I don't know. I said, but you tell anybody that I'm really just going off, I'm gonna hurt myself. I don't even want to ask, I put her in a bad situation. She knows know what to do. And at that point, I couldn't face the world because I felt like a failure. Top 10 pick, out of the league, you know, just, it was creating go the way it wanted to go. So I remember for like months, sleeping in parks, parking garages, just hoping something bad would happen to me. She was calling me every day like, where are you? What's going on? My mom would call me like, hey, how's it's overseas. Oh, my mom is great. My mom thinks I'm overseas.
0: Oh my
2: God. Parking garages. And my wife got to a point, and this is this is what saved my life. She called me. She was like, "Enough is enough.
0: I'm pregnant, and you know I'm far along." And you need to, you need to figure Where, this out. She didn't tell you for she didn't tell you for a long time. So, I guess she was just trying to get me
2: to come home. I guess yeah. like, like two months, she was like, "Dude, like enough is enough. Like this is what's going on." And right then, it sounds cliche, but something clicked. Like. I got to figure this out. I didn't know how, but I knew I said I got to get help. That's when I knew I needed help because I knew I was like, if this child coming into my life, what my father was to me, I know I'm nowhere in the sh- shape of the world to try to even be that to this child. But I didn't know because at that point, I kind of lost faith in people. I didn't trust yeah. You know, it was just like, you know, all I felt is people only want one something, either want something from you or they're going to talk bad about you. That's how I felt because everywhere I went, man, what happened to your career? What happened to this? So it was like, there was no peace of mind and luckily I said I spoke it up I ended up getting a job after that I kind of prayed hard about it and I ended up, ended up the next day I got a phone call about coming to Uruguay South America to play basketball you yep. never I, I have heard of Uruguay and, you know so I was like why has this happened so I ended up t- I was vulnerable told the team what I was going through they said look we got somebody for you wow uh, at this point I still didn't trust but I said you know what so I told my wife she's like go it's only like it's only four month and a half go And that trip changed my life.
0: You know what's interesting here? uh, You know, I think part of my success has been driven by fear of failure. And I think I've gotten very, very close to failure without people knowing. Right. Like so on the outside, people see like. Oh, man, this guy was hired at ESPN at 22, worked for ESPN for 12 years, worked at CNBC, top of the business, number one sports reporter in the business of sports. This guy is, you know, an unmitigated success. If I were to tell you how close I came to that consistent, that line breaking, okay, me stopping, that is what's interesting because I'm not sure – define myself just like you define yourself so much as a basketball player. I define myself as a reporter. If that line broke, I'm not sure what I would have done. I was not prepared to get the questions of what happened to Darren or what, you know, and, and that's also why people are like, that also is what brings humbleness into my life because i know how close i was and so it's not that i haven't enjoyed success but i've understood like how close i was to not being that success and that's not because someone didn't hire me it was because my inner voices things that have gone on in my head um, and so i'm really sympathizing with you right now and it feels close to me because i can't imagine if what i chose to define me turned out to be a failure um and my life since then since uh, i try every day even though every day i work so hard and continue to be where i'm at and outside i'm defined as successful Every day I try to shift myself away from being defined by my job.
1: You, you just you just you just finished my line here that I was gonna I was gonna bring together your experience with Mike's experience, Darren, because I've seen the migration of what happens has happened with you as a sports reporter, now finding purpose in what you do with us on a mental health standpoint. Finding purpose in how much time you spend with your kids and you're taking videos with them all the time about their different competitions that they have in their basement and stuff. The beautiful thing about Mike is knowing his career arc now the way that I do as his friend, from talking to him a number of times is this is, yeah, that basketball was taken away from him in terms of what that dream was of being a top 10 overall pick. But what's given him purpose was first that child and then from that child now what he does to help other people with his story. And the story can be can come about through a podcast like this. It could come about when we bring him to an event and he does a talking thing. It could come about because he's a coach. And when he coaches kids, he was telling me the other day at camp, there were kids, unfortunately, who were unfortunately considering hurting themselves right so you're right Darren when that's taken away from you right but but go back to what you said about LeBron right that sometimes the thing that's close to the break bring you to the greatness and I think that's where Michael's greatness is right now is that I love Mike Sweetney the guy who's helping the world right now as much as I'm a Nick fan probably more than I ever would have loved Mike as the 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 second coming of oakley and mason and and and
0: right and that's the best part of 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 all this right like no matter how much mike did on the court i guarantee you uh doing what he's doing now and talking is i mean it's baskets versus saving lives i mean let's get you know and we're in a we're in a position here and and i'm sorry i'm talking so much about myself but like you know when looking for purpose at 40 to do something like I'm not a doctor. I can't come up with cancer surgeries. I can't come up with things that will save lives. But the fact that I could help save lives through talk is amazing and it's so much more than buckets could ever be.
1: Yeah. Mike, your story is amazing. Um, you, you, what you're doing with yourself now, I hope you recognize it is um it's incredible and it and it's inspiring to other people and i think you know you've only touched the surface because you know you got the advantage of the fact that you you are from the 2003 draft so it's a high profile draft um you are a top 10 pick you did you did go to the world's most famous arena team i think the story is is not even close to having been written like there's, that's why I love that you're working with us. That's why I love that we, I, you know, when the, these two topics came up, I thought let's get Mike involved because it just makes sense. The the documentary that we're working on, the, the visits that we're continuing to do, like we need to get you doing more and more because your story is going to save even more lives down the road because of how relatable it is. There's so many pieces, the loss the overdose the openness about the thoughts not just being a thought on one night continued thoughts and driving in the car and not knowing where you're going to the culmination of the child coming into your life and then realizing I want to be the father for him that my father was for me and now realizing how you're able to pay it back I mean uh, Darren you talk about the ad lib right of of you know what's the right that's that's the story mike that's people have purpose and live in this world because of what they give back and i don't think as when we're 22 and 24 like we were talking about and we're first coming into the nba whether as an executive or a player we think that's the entire world and it's not the entire world this is the entire world
2: i agree and i think um you know pretty much you guys said it all um, but just real quick i think for me uh, I, when I when I when I started like speaking out about it, I said, like, "Wow, I really found my purpose in life." Like obviously, basketball was a stepping stone, you know, for me. You know, being able to do this, but like, this is my purpose. Like, I'm happy. I got I got a peace of mind. Like, I'm at a peace of mind. I love what I do. Like, just getting the daily texts and emails. Just people walking up to me, thank you. That means the world to me. <laughs> you know, it just it does. It means the world. Like just to say, hey, like you know, and sometimes these, like you said, I'm working at, I'm working with these kids, and like. You know, many times a parent has put me with a kid to teach them basketball, but probably many times it wasn't even about basketball; it was about just life lessons, um, teaching about life, and the kid kind of like The kid might not know what I went through, but the parent does. So right. next I know, and you know, I don't really get into details. But next thing you know, kind of found this kid is going through stuff, and I'm, you know, being there for him and just trying to show him, you know, teach him life lessons, life skills, and how to deal with things, and how to cope with it, and how to you know, speak up and be, you know, be proud of who you are. You know, like a lot of kids are struggling with social media situations of not fitting in. So just saying, hey, look, you know, be who you are. A lot of yeah. times, don't look at social media because a lot of people, you know, they're, that's not their real life. So don't yeah. look at their life, just be happy for who you are. So, you know, I just try to just, you know, bring positivity into kid's life, you know, my perfect, no. You know, sometimes kids are not receptive to it and sometimes they are, but for me, I just feel like if I could just be vulnerable, and hopefully that can just you know change someone else's mindset,
1: Mike. I'm going to end on a on a sports fan question that I think fans related to this topic would find interesting. You guys lost John Thompson not long ago. Um, did that feel like a father figure loss to many of you who who you had played for him? So, <laughs> I'm a I'm,
2: a, so I'm a, I, I, I right now I can kind of be honest. Like it definitely it was a definitely a tough tough loss. Okay. But like, you know, when I was going through what I was going through, it's a lot I'm not going to really get, but, like, our relationship kind of strained off a little bit.
1: Okay, okay.
2: It did, it did. But don't get me wrong, it, it was definitely a tough loss because, like, he was one of the first ones that believed in me, gave me the shot at Georgetown, um, you know, it was definitely we'll always check in. So, like, we had a strain up and you know. Yeah, yeah. Like,
1: that's, that's life. Life it, is difficult life. relationships. But It was definitely,
2: you know, definitely a tough loss, you know, for the Georgetown, you know, nation and, um, you know, obviously, you know, the sports nation. So it was definitely a tough loss and, you know, you know, definitely, you know, being there for his family, you know, emotionally, Um, but it's definitely sad to see an icon go for
1: sure. Got it. Well, dude, I I can't thank you enough for your vulnerability. I, you know, every time we talk, um, I feel closer to you as a friend, right? Like, and and I mean that, and I can't wait to keep doing more with you, you know, and and, uh, Darren, I don't know if you have any parting shots you want to give here, but, but no, as always,
0: I I appreciate, uh, you know the understanding that uh you know saving yourself is just part of it and uh and and the idea that you know helping others helps save yourself even more i know i'm in that boat and uh, i feel like you are too mike
2: uh, thank you guys so much for having me uh, appreciate it and i'm uh, looking forward to doing more work with you guys and keep it keep it going keep up the good work too by the way
1: thank you brother so on behalf of darren ravelle feel flurry this is Eric Cusen, along with Mike Sweetney. and We'll see you next week on We're All a Little Crazy. You just heard We're All a Little Crazy, brought to you by the hashtag Seen here Global Mental Health Movement and the Hockey Podcast Network.